Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed for the week of July 11th, 7 11, always open. Lots of money, lots of money moving around packs, super packs as we move into that type of midterm season. Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. We can dive right into it. So alluding to that first story, uh, we wanted to talk about at the head of the podcast was that lots of money are moving around packs, super packs, but also 501c4 tax exempt organizations this election cycle, as in past election cycles. So this is something we want to talk about because I think it's important for nonprofit leaders to know that there are tax-exempt organizations operating in this space and might create messaging challenges and public perception challenges as we go into what is sure to be another pretty volatile midterm election year. So 501c4 organizations are similar to C3 organizations, except they are Uh, specifically designed for groups that work on advocacy. They can spend up to but no more 50% of their expenditures on advocacy, political lobbying, XYZ. Some of these orgs, however, that are associated with PACs dole out millions and millions of dollars. We have an article in here about a PAC associated with Senate Majority PAC uh, or a, a C4 associated with Senate Majority PAC given out tens and tens of millions of dollars to various causes in previous elections. This is just how it works, right? C4s are increasingly a vehicle for moving money around in the political space. C3 organizations can spend, quote unquote, insubstantial amounts of money on political lobbying. Definitely do research it before you do that if you're a C3. But the, the takeaway here is that C4s are tax-exempt organizations, there's going to be tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars swirling around this year during the election. And quite frankly, C3 should be aware of that. You might see more news stories about X, Y, and Z, tax-exempt organization, dark money, this, that. How can your organization increase its legitimacy and the perception that your money is being used for good and being used efficiently? Something else we wanted to point out is that advertising during elections can become notoriously difficult for smaller organizations going up against these massive ones. Cost per click on ad platforms like Facebook are probably going to be really hard to compete with. There's just a lot of money going for what is a finite and ever decreasing attention of the public. So that's kind of at the top of our story, more kind of broad, not necessarily breaking news. But George, what's your takeaway on this? And there are a couple, you know, misnomers just to circle back on. One is that there's a difference between uh, C3 and C4 quite, you know, just it's one number apart. But if you donate to a C4, it is not tax deductible, right? It's very different. C4s are, you know, used both by the political left and political right leaning uh, organizations to shuffle money around. And there's an interesting site, Open Secrets, that really tracks this stuff pretty well to see where where that money is going. 
The other thing to touch on is that the word insubstantial. So insubstantial is actually not zero. And I think this is a bit of a misnomer for some people who assume that, oh, my nonprofit can't spend a single dime on anything that approaches lobbying. Otherwise, we'll lose our certification. Not true. So the breakdown is if you are an organization with uh, less than half a million in, in revenue here, the percent that may be spent on lobbying is 20%. For organizations under a million, it's uh, 100,000 plus 15% of budget over half a million. And then at the highest level, if you're over 1.5 million as an organization, it's 224,000 plus 5% of budget over 1.5 million. I don't know where your definition of insubstantial comes from, but that leaves some room. The other reason to bring that up is as it has happened, with Roe v. Wade, there are many organizations now that even by doing the business they used to do programmatically may actually be looking into this quite deeply because suddenly your your emails and ads and awareness just about helping women get healthcare for, you know, different areas may suddenly turn into something that looks like lobbying. So I would say tightening up your understanding of this, moving into election season, also noting that if you enter into a screaming match and hope to have better ROI than the other person with the, the bullhorn, maybe adjust the strategy. So that was a good note, Nick. Thanks. Yeah, of course. George, that's a great call out about, about nonprofits and, and that kind of work. There are some organizations that have like sister organizations, a C3 and then a respective C4 counterpart for this exact reason, right? And quite frankly, with all the issues we talk about on this podcast, uh, it's pretty impossible to avoid the fact that our government and policies posed and voted on by politicians have direct impact on the beneficiaries of nonprofits and communities and programs that they serve and run. So uh, yeah, great call out there. Shall we move into the summary? Yes, please. All right. This first story is we got to we got to report it out because it's at the top of the top of the feed, top of the news pile here, but this comes from boston.com and it is about an organization called Violence in Boston that has just been completely shut down because the two people uh, leading this organization, a couple, had exclusive control over Violence in Boston's financial accounts from 2017 through at least 2020 and are allegedly accused of essentially committing uh, systematic fraud, siphoning off donations, creating fake documents to get uh, unemployment, pandemic unemployment benefits they knew they weren't qualified for. But there's lots of counts of wire fraud coming down on, on these at the top. But uh, supposedly the board had no idea this was happening and the organization just completely folded, just has stopped existing because it's just uh, it was a, a, a money uh Fraud, it was a fraudulent scheme. Uh, I mean, these these people allegedly kind of, it seems, set out to use this as a vehicle uh, for money. But, George, what's your takeaway on this? Yeah, I mean, it's a federal indictment that's saying that this couple used over $1 million that was collected in donations between 2017 and 2021 for personal expenses. So this isn't a, oh, they're being, you know, overly scrutinized on our financials. Uh, this, this is pretty significant and it's just devastatingly unfortunate that it coincides with, uh, certainly the summer 2020 George Floyd incident where, you know, they really rose to prominence according to 
the, the reporting on this, the, the highest level takeaway here is understanding the critical importance of board, a board of directors plays in every nonprofit. They are at the very core financially responsible. They are on the hook essentially as stewards of this organization. They've been put in a position of power that is higher than the CEO. They can hire and fire. That is the most important job a board has. And you are very much derelict in your duties, I'd say, as board members, when you are not overseeing the financial health of an organization and attending to that role. So, you know, I would, I would, I would hold that mirror up very, very closely. And I, and I wonder if there isn't uh, any uh, legal ramifications for, for that board, uh, because they were siphoning money away from a very important cause, a very important area uh, of... I'm sure programs in, in Boston, then I, all I can think of is like that money routing to, to other places. But I, I look at the board of directors here. I let less so on the, the, the individual couple that most of this article points to. Yeah, George, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Shall we take us into some brighter news? Some giving Tuesday trends? I like it. Let's see. All right. So giving Tuesday has, uh, released a new data commons report entitled From Scarcity to Abundance, Mapping the Giving Ecosystem, and it's a worldwide generosity survey. Uh, it has some interesting stats. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, name a couple of them here. 85% of people surveyed globally gave in 2021, but non-monetary giving was 2x more common than monetary giving. Uh, and globally, again, in a global context, only 5% of people who gave, gave money only. That's a really interesting stat. I imagine it would be much different for the United States, which has one of the most advanced, you know, nonprofit social impact sectors in the world, but a uh, really interesting stat. Another one is that volunteering for nonprofits has increased 7.4% in 2021 after a severe drop in 2020, but remains far below pre-COVID-19 levels in the United States. This is something we've talked about even recently on the podcast here. Uh, and then I, I, one third one is that in the United States, giving to non-registered entities was over twice more as common than giving to registered entities, with most people giving to multiple types of recipients. I imagine that's things like GoFundMes and other fundraisers and, and that kind of thing. But George, what do we take away from uh, the summaries of this? Yeah, the macro trend certainly is down as we move through the, the pandemic and many given avenues. 7% increase in 2021 was, was really great, actually. I am also, I also feel like a, a broken record bringing back the fact that macro giving, I love the sentiment, I love the surveys, the, the fundamental gravity of donations in America is the simple relationship of the rule of two, the rule of 2%, 2% of our GDP. Tell me what our GDP is and I'll tell you what pretty much giving is going to be because it has been anchored to that roughly since 1970. And, you know, we can, we can look up and down, but right now I'm a little concerned at the retraction potential recession and that net effect of taking 2% of a smaller number. So I'm not optimistic about what's going to happen, unfortunately, in 2020. To, and normally that, that sort of consolidation tends to amplify a power law, but we'll, we'll see. I think 
it is positive though that sentiment is is increasing is not decreasing uh, 82% of Americans affirmed that they gave and you know it's a good thing about participation I think that's something that you may want to hang your hat on in a year where just the overall volume will be down but you really want to keep those transactions those interactions as also an important measure uh, of what's going on because the the tail of the tape can be misled by one large donor not giving yet your actual underlying health might be strong so uh, keep that in the back of your mind this year especially fundraisers who are out there trying to hit your number like obviously hit your number but you also pay attention to those those transactions and look just more than the uh, the end of this year because uh, as this uh, downturn recession however you want to brand it uh, will come and go but uh, maintaining the number of unique donors that are connected to your organization will pay dividends later. Yeah, George, I think those are great points. And that actually takes us into our next article, which comes from the Nonprofit Times, which states that nonprofits contributed $1.4 trillion to the nation's economy during the first quarter of 2022, uh, actually exceeding the overall uh, gross domestic product by 1%. But states that despite positive signs and comparable charitable giving in 2020 and 2021, the current 8.5% inflation signals that holding steady financially is not good enough for some organizations to maintain staff services and impact the 2021 levels and goes into some things as you were talking about to look at uh, through the end of 2022 as inflation and recessionary concerns come into play. Uh, George, what's kind of continuing along that, that macro conversation about giving and nonprofits and the economy? What's your takeaway from this article? First, always a fan of the nonprofit times. Clearly, you know, we, uh, we occasionally like to write uh, for them over there. And I like that they do this summary. I like looking at nonprofits as an economic engine, quite literally generating $1.4 to the U.S. economy, you know, via jobs, making up 10%, roughly speaking, of our labor force. I mean, it's huge. And I think oftentimes over overlooked uh, at that just sort of raw value of what's going on. And usually the, the GDP, just because of the way, the dumb way that GDP, maybe that's just a rant for a future day, <laughs> it isn't properly represented by what nonprofits do. Because by the way, our service to each other isn't properly fit into a tidy bucket measured in uh, zeros and ones and oil and gas. But the contribution is real. And, you know, there's a, a, a number... Uh, associated with that. Yeah, George, I think that's a, a great point. Takes me back to my high school level economics class, trying to remember what goes into a GDP. But this is a cool there's, way actually, to just spell it out. more in here. Sorry, I want to call, call to, I'll just quote uh, directly because it speaks to sort of diversity. The sector workforce is continuing a trend of losing uh, racial and ethnic, uh, ethnic diversity. Proportion of white workers, 70, call it 78%, higher than pre-pandemic levels. Uh, generally, uh, the say the racial and ethnic proportions of nonprofit workforce track with demographics of the broader workforce, except for Hispanic workers currently making up 11% of the nonprofit workforce and 18% of the overall workforce, according to the, the data in this uh, report that they pulled. Those are pretty striking data. That was that was one I missed also. That's that's striking. Well, it's dive into that. Holding up that, right? It's just like, it's holding up that mirror of being like, you know, here's the, here are the macro trends. Like we can use the language. We can, you know, put out the, 
put out the campaigns all we want, but you know, when you look at your own labor, uh, it's an important thing to note, especially if you're serving uh, those communities uh, directly and saying like, what is, what is our complexion juxtaposed with our stakeholders? Absolutely. All right, George, what about a fun, feel good story? We actually have one. We, we did our job this time. We actually, we actually have one. It's not so much a story, but just more a cool project. This is a website called Leleka, L-E-L-E-K-A dot me dot M-E. And it is a website that essentially you can buy digital art made by kids from Ukraine, kids in Ukraine, and kids in the Ukrainian diaspora. And the funds go directly to them. Uh, this is a UK-based uh, organization. They are registered as a non-for-profit company, but they're not a charity. But uh, there's tons of cool artwork here, and they're all around uh, seven pounds. I think that's the what? I think the oh, that's the currency. The weight. It's the currency. Uh, I was like the currency. Currency. These kids are churning out some high high volume. Could you imagine the shipping on that? No, but for seven pounds, you could be the proud owner of a digital copy of this really cool artwork made by kids going through what can only be uh, a heartbreaking time. And uh, the money goes directly to, to those kids and those uh, kids' families' bank accounts. So just a cool project. And you're seeing lots of really cool social impact, like tech, uh, spring up from this uh this crisis. And, uh, you know, we talked about crypto philanthropy and, and this, that, and the other, but just another cool little project to help people in this trying time. Yeah. My only, my only critique here is there's a huge opportunity to turn these into NFTs and sell them. Uh, instead you can, uh, you can choose to donate and download. I reach out to them, see if they want to, want to help moving this into the, the crypto philanthropy world. Anyway, Nick, thanks for bringing this. Thanks for summarizing. Thanks, George. Talk next week. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.